leadership. We're in this series called Soul Shift, and we're talking about how God causes these little shifts, these little like titanic, uh, titanic, tectonic, imagine if they would have made that mistake, these little tectonic plates to shift in our lives. And when those little things shift in our lives, actually big changes happen on the outside. Like the moment that you remember saying yes to Jesus, that's a big moment. The moment moment you remember saying, you know, I probably shouldn't behave that way, or I probably shouldn't say these words anymore, or I probably shouldn't participate in that activity, or I probably should show love to this person, or I probably should help provide for that family. I mean, the moments that you remember, those little shifts in your soul that actually change who you are on the outside. How many of you this Black Friday um, were thinking of Pastor Earl's message on moving from consumer to steward, right? Probably as a result of that message, I'm sure nobody here participated in Black Friday, right? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I wonder why I could sit in my chair and, and do all that shopping for my computer. Anyways, and there's no lines. I, I can't stand lines. One of the reasons why I don't like Disneyland, sorry to all you Disneyland people, it's a great place. I just don't like standing in a line for more than five minutes. I'm impatient. Anyways, great leadership moments. Getting back from that tangent. There's so many times that, that we see great leadership moments happen in life. And a lot of times Hollywood portrays these moments. And so I'm going to ruin a couple movies for you if you have not seen them. And if you have not seen them by now, you probably deserve that these get ruined for you. Um, you remember the movie Rudy? How many of you have seen that movie? It's this great, just great moment where this guy, he's this puny little kid. He wants to play for Notre Dame. He's stuck in the family business. Everybody's telling him he can't do anything. He can't go anywhere. And he showed great personal leadership by saying, no, I'm going to defy the odds, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to play on that field. I'm going to suit up. I don't even know if he cared. I mean, of course he cared that he played, but I think that he just wanted to suit up with the team. And you remember he had to go to a prep school for like four semesters in order to get his grades up to get into Notre Dame. And then he, he goes and the team, um, his team lays down their jerseys and say, if Rudy doesn't play this last game, then I won't play this last game. And so finally they let Rudy suit up and they let him in. They were winning by a bunch. And the, the QB defies the coach and says, you know what, Rudy's on the field. We're going to go for something big. And they had this huge, massive play that ended up big. But it all started when passion stirred up in somebody's heart and said, I've got to do this. We all have these moments in our lives where passion stirs up in our hearts and we say, we've just got to do this. Whether it's God-given passion or whether it's something where we see an injustice, we all have these moments where we just say, I've got to do this. It's time to step up. One of my favorite movies of all time, Apollo 13. Um, I have a cousin who works for NASA, and, and so I'm always, like, trying to get connected with space things, and I, I'm just really nerdy on the inside and on the outside, too. Um, I love space and space shuttles and all that stuff. And, and so uh, my cousin, I was talking to him about Apollo 13. He actually knows Gene Kranz, the guy who was the flight controller during Apollo 13. If you haven't seen that movie, again, I'm going to ruin it for you because you should have seen it by now. It's when they're flying and the, the heat shield blows off, there's a little bit of an explosion, and, and, and they've got to get these three astronauts back to Earth safely. It seems like an impossible mission. They're in this control room. They're talking about how much 
oxygen they have left, how much power they have. And remember they say, that's barely enough amps to run a vacuum cleaner for 12 hours. You know, they, they talk, or a coffee maker for 12 hours. They, they talk about how there's no way this can possibly happen. And Gene Kranz stands up and says, well, gentlemen, failure is not an option. And he keeps them in there, in those rooms, locked up. They don't know what time of day or night it is. There's no windows. And they have them working day and night until they bring those guys home. Great moments happen because people have a passion. People have a sense of justice. God puts that in them and it stirs out and they step up and they say, it is time for me to lead. How many of you have seen The Pursuit of Happiness? I have a tough time with that movie just because of the kid. And there's this little boy that Will Smith has to care for as his son. And he's homeless part of the time. They sleep in a, they sleep in a bathroom in the subway. And, and it shows him going from shelter to shelter. And there's actually um, a pastor who's actually a pastor who, who runs a shelter up there who, who's in the movie, Pastor Cecil. But um, they're running that shelter and... And he goes after challenge and challenge and challenge, but he continues carrying on for the sake of his son. Something in him said, it's time to step up. And in our lives, I mean, Hollywood glorifies this and makes it this great, beautiful story. And sometimes it's not this great, crazy story. Sometimes it's just, well, I really felt like I had to go buy a turkey. And all of a sudden, 250 people are fed. Sometimes it's, well, I just really feel like I ought to be here distributing that food. And all of a sudden, over 250 families are fed. Sometimes it's just that little thing stepping up. Or maybe as a dad saying, I'm not going to let my kids follow in the, the mistakes that I made. I'm going to lead them a different direction. Maybe it's as a, as a mother saying, I'm not going to allow the brokenness of the past to interfere with what God has for the future of my family. Sometimes it's just those little things where you just step up and say, that's not going to happen. Um, I, I love Hollywood portrayals of leadership, but honestly, um, individual portrayals of leadership, I think, are much greater. Even in history, there's so many moments. There's a moment where there's a, a king, um, a, an English king, and there, it was during the Spanish Armada, they were all fighting, and, and um, he, he was dying. And on his deathbed, he said, this is kind of gross, he said, when I die, I want you to cut my heart out and put it in a little bag, and I want you to take it into battle with you. And that led these men to say, we have the heart of the king. And they went into battle, and they, and they won that particular battle. But th- there was all these different things in history that, that people have just stepped up. And, and it's sometimes it's the reason why we're here today. Sometimes it's the reason why my family is here in America today, because my grandfather said, I, I need to escape from Mussolini in Italy, and, and I need to step up for my entire family, and I need to come here to America and escape that tyranny. I mean, there's all kinds of different stories, and if we went around the room, we would find story after story after story of stepping up and, and doing what's right. And I think God calls us all to that in a certain sense. Some of you, it's to lead tons of people, and some of you, it might just be to lead your child. Some of you, it might be to lead the multitudes, while some of you, it might just be meaning that you lead yourself in a meaningful way and help others along the way. But I think as Christians, God calls most of us, not, not to necessarily the front leadership role, but God calls us all into a sense of leadership. 
And I want to get into that a little bit today. So if you have your Bibles, um, now this Thanksgiving weekend, so bear with me. We didn't get the slides done. So if you have your Bibles or if you have the Bible app, it's all on there. Um, go ahead and, and flip with me to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look a little bit about at this leader, Moses. Moses was, as we know, is a pretty strong leader, pretty passionate for his people, um, and a pretty big figure in history. So remember, as we get into this, that Moses actually should have been dead. Moses should have never lived because the Pharaoh put out a decree to kill all the young boys because the Pharaoh did not want any threat to his power. And so he knew that they were oppressing the Hebrew children and the Hebrew people. And so he said, if any Hebrew boys are born, then obviously they're going to rise up and they're going to want to fight us. So nobody allowed them to live and they went out and slaughtered all these baby boys. But Moses was saved by his mother. His mother put him in a basket, floated him down the river, and the daughter of the Pharaoh found him and raised him as such. Therefore, he may have always had this sense of destiny in his life that maybe he was meant for something great. Maybe he was meant to, to save his people. And he knew he was, he was a Hebrew. He had a strong sense of justice. So Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, He went out to where his people were and watched them at their labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked them, what's wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Now, before we get too far into this, I think it's really important to note that there's nowhere in Scripture that affirms that what Moses did is right. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. No, God doesn't say, okay, good job, Moses. But it's really interesting. This is Moses' very first attempt to free his people. This is his human effort. He saw an injustice happening, and he said, I've got to do something about it. He comes from a sense of authority and power. He comes from the house of Pharaoh and thinks, I could do something about this. But you know, like when people are kind of looking around, like making sure no one sees them? I used to work in retail back in college. I, I used to work at a sporting goods store, and I would watch people. There was one time, I'll tell you a quick story. One time I saw a, a guy walking. He's wearing a big heavy coat. He walks into a dressing room. He's got all these t-shirts on. And, and, and he, he takes them all in there. And then he puts them all on and puts his coat back over him. And it's totally obvious. I mean, the guy's wearing just stacks of t-shirts. You know? And, and he comes and walks back by the bike counter. I said, hey, are you finding everything okay? And we can't do anything legally until the guy walks out of the store. He could wear, he could put all the clothes in the store on and then dump them and walk out. But we can't do anything. And, and so I said, hi, how are you doing? And he said, good. And I said, did those t-shirts fit you all right? And he goes, what t-shirts? I said, oh, the five or six t-shirts you're wearing under your jacket, are they fitting you okay? Are they comfortable? Do you like them? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, they're, you know, they're fitting me. And he walked right back into the dressing room, took them all off. I mean, really saved this guy because we had loss prevention watching him. It saved this guy from walking out of the store and getting, getting in trouble. So hopefully he didn't, maybe, maybe he should have gotten in trouble. But anyways, he was doing that thing, looking around. He didn't see me, he, but he's looking around. You know that. Every teenager knows that look. 
Every teenager does it. And you did it too. You were all teenagers at one point. You looked around to see if anybody's watching you so you could go do whatever you were doing. What Moses was going to do to this guy was not the right thing. But he knew that he had to step up and save his people. He had this strong sense of justice. But he was going about it his way, not the way in which God was leading him to go about it. After this, Moses fled out to the desert, and there were some um, shepherds who were sort of harassing some other sheep and some women, and so Moses actually protected them again, and that's where he met his wife. And then he was working as a shepherd with his father-in-law Jethro there. He's working as a shepherd, and then in chapter 3, we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Here's what happens. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At at this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jezebites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen them the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are there to show the distinction between Moses acting on his own versus God calling him into acting. There's times where we act on our own to, to, to restore justice. There's times where we act on our own to try and do the right things and we turn out to go, whoops, that wasn't exactly the wise thing to do. And we look back on it, was there any consulting of God? Was there prayer thought into the process? Was there talking with other Christian folks to ask them what the right thing to do is? Probably not. But we've probably all had these moments where we sit back and just went, that was not the wise thing to do. That was not very wise. And these two um, chapters are here as a contrast And I find it very interesting that now Moses has his reputation and now Moses gets called by God. And then just a few chapters later, Moses has to hold these tablets in a very Charlton Heston type way. I'm sure he studied Charlton Heston before he brought out the tablets. And and one of the commandments was, thou shall not murder. And he's probably thinking, whoops. Do you think God was talking right to me? (laughs) But in any case, There's times where we just need to step up. There's times where we just need to step out. When I was working in ministry, I knew that God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry. But I kept running from it. 
In fact, when I graduated college from Cal Poly Pomona, I applied for every entry-level position under the sun while I was working here as a youth pastor. You guys probably didn't know that. And I tried to run. I was saying, I knew God was calling me to, and that scared the daylights out of me, that God was calling me into this. And, and so I applied, and I couldn't get a job anywhere. It was like I was overqualified for, like, tiny little sales jobs, and I was going in there shaking hands, schmoozing with people, and it was just, no, nah, you're, you're not the right fit. And I'm thinking, come on, I'm kind of smart. I could do this. Get me out. Get me out of ministry. One of the ways that you know that God is calling you is if you're reluctant to it. That's just one of the ways. But, like I said, I went everywhere, and, um, but God, I think, took me through that process to say, I, I'm going to have you work in my kingdom, but I want you to go through that process to see. Go ahead and try and lead your way. We'll see where that goes for you. And then I want you to lead my way. And we all know where that kind of led me to. I think it kind of works a lot like this. First, we come to Christ. We go to a lot of Bible studies. We soak up the Word. We read, we pray, we explore. Um, it, but we're dependent on a pastor or a leader or a Christian friend to help us through our times of questioning, what is God all about? And I think as we grow a little bit, we're able to read our Bibles ourselves and, and have these epiphanies and go, wow, okay, cool. God, this is what you're trying to tell me. Oh, this is what Jesus is all about. This is awesome. And then I think that you get a little bit further in your development, and then you're able to actually help others when they're struggling. And, and people, when they're new believers, you're able to say, yeah, actually, I was struggling with that same concept, that same idea, that same thing. It's almost like when you're a baby, you have to get spoon-fed. And then you could kind of feed yourselves and pick the right things. You should see Emma when she wakes up. Sometimes she wakes up in the morning, and I'm still sleeping because she wakes up early. And, and she'll sneak out to the refrigerator, and she'll come into my room. Um, sometimes she'll grab uh, almonds. We don't keep those in the fridge. That'd be weird. Um, sometimes she'll grab almonds. Sometimes she has a cup of water. And, and so she can, like, feed herself now, and it's very strange for me. And actually, I'm paranoid about parenting because I always think my kids are going to, like, choke on something. Um, and so she'll come in, and she'll just be drinking her water and eating her almonds and say, Daddy, and I'm like, you're three. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing here? In any case, you begin to feed yourself, and then you feed others. That's sort of like this role of leadership that, that um, God is calling us to. I think that's a decent metaphor for how we grow as Christians. God... Um, First, I want to I affirm that God reminds us that we are his sheep and he is the shepherd. And God wants us to move from this point where we were just getting spoon-fed to actually feeding other people. God wants to move all of us to that. God said we're going to have a nation full of priests. Psalms 79 verse 13 says, then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever from generation to generation. We will recount your praise. Psalm 103, 3 says, or 100, and, uh, 100 verse 3 says, Know the Lord is God. He, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Genesis forty eight fifteen says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God, be, may the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked the God who has been my shepherd all 
my life to this day. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. All through the scriptures, the Bible declares, and God declares that we are God's sheep, and he is the chief shepherd. And then as Jesus came, and as all that began to unfold, what did Jesus do? He raised up disciples. And what did he tell to Peter? When, when after Peter denied him, Jesus and Peter are having this conversation at the beach, and they're barbecuing some fish, and, and Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I do. You know I do. He says, feed my sheep. Jesus came and raised up more shepherds. And as we grow in discipleship, I believe that God wants to change our hearts from just intaking information and intaking stuff about the Bible and actually leading out and stepping out and doing things. God wants us to take the passion that he has placed in our hearts and to begin to shepherd other people in our lives. Maybe it's just a couple people around the office. Maybe it's, just a, maybe it's just your family. Maybe it's a neighborhood. Maybe it's just a few people here and there. It doesn't mean that you need to run out and go to seminary and lead a church, although that would be awesome too. It simply means that God wants to take you and form you and mold you in such a specific way that you begin to lead others. That capacity is within each of us. God has placed that. When God places his spirit in us, that capacity is within all of us. When Jesus came and he, when he talked about shepherding, he always quoted this one verse out of Ezekiel. And, and he quoted it verbatim. I mean, he's Jesus, right? And he, he quoted this verse out of Ezekiel, and it's out of Ezekiel um, chapter uh, 34. And I just wanted to, uh, to read that right now. This is sort of Jesus' mantra on shepherding. And this is the thing he quoted. And, and if you read all the Gospels, I think it's actually in almost every single, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But he quotes it um, kind of loosely. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Meaning what Jesus, what he did through, to us through his son Jesus. He sent his son down to search after his lost sheep. It's a beautiful picture of how much God loves each and every single one of us. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, on the, on the ravines and all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountains, mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but... The, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And that is the, what Jesus began to teach his disciples. That he was the good shepherd. We talked about this when we went through the I Am series earlier in the year. Jesus actually said to his disciples, I am the good shepherd. And that was actually pretty revolutionary because shepherds at the time were kind of known as highway bandits and robbers. 
And so for Jesus to say, I am the good shepherd, what he's saying is, I'm not going to beat you up and rob you. I'm actually going to lead you to good pastures and to good things. By the way, the difference between a cowboy and a shepherd is that a cowboy leads cattle to slaughter, whereas a shepherd leads sheep to get sheared, sheared, sheared. They cut their hair is what they do. And they need to keep them clean and they need to tend to them and they, they need to protect them and care for them. We don't really have a whole lot of concept of what a shepherd is in America because wool just shows up on our coats, you know, and we just, it's just there. Where do you find wool? At the fabric store. Um, that's, that's how we find it. But in any case, this is what Jesus taught as far as leadership and is that we are to be shepherds of our people that each of us are to lead somebody else and care for somebody else and love somebody else. Sometimes, like I said, that just simply can mean your kids. That you could be the wise person in the office that people come and talk to and ask questions, and, and it means maybe mentoring somebody to take your spot. I think of the people who shepherded me. I think of um, long conversations with Gordon about theology. Many of you knew Pastor Gordon, and he's a great friend of mine. We talked theology for hours. Many of you would just be bored out of your skulls. We loved it. We fought about it. We tore the Bible apart and went back and forth on it, and we loved it. But he was shepherding me along the way to expand what I thought about the gospel. And I think about people like that in my life. So the questions I have for us today is, who's shepherding you right now? And who are you shepherding? Even as a high school or junior high student, you can have influence. You can be that shepherd that leads other students simply by example. I remember being in high school, people would say, you know, people would ask me a question about, like, um, about the Bible, and I didn't really know I was in high school. And, and I would always find them an answer. I'd go talk to my pastor, and I'd bring it back to them. And in that way, I sort of became the shepherd of a few different students there. Started bringing them to church. Started help, helping them to understand who Jesus was. And eventually, they became Christians themselves and started following God. But God wants to use us to do that. I remember, and I'll end with this story, so... Um, Scott and Ernie, if you guys want to start making your way back up here, we're going to end with this story. A, a number of years ago, I was living in Huntington Beach, and um, I was a college student, and I had no money, and I've told you guys this all before, but I started to pray. I, I went to a church service, and I just felt useless. I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything in my life. I work at a bike shop. That's not very redeeming work. I like to fix bikes. That's pretty cool, but I'm doing nothing with my life, absolutely nothing. I surf five days a week. I know, rough life. I, I have no money. I barely can afford food, but yet I made time for surfing and a girlfriend. I know, priorities. But I was going to church, and I was literally just kind of broken up, like, I'm not doing anything right now, and God, I know you've got stuff for me. And at that moment, the, pre, the pastor was a guest pastor. It wasn't even our, the normal pastor that we had. And, and he started to say, you know, I want you guys to just pray this dangerous prayer. And it's simply this. It's three words that will revolutionize the rest of your life. And I, I want to warn you, don't pray it unless you really mean it. And he was adamant. Do not 
pray this unless you mean it, because I guarantee you that God's going to do it. And those three words were, God, use me. And I thought, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. That's what I need to do. That's what I need to pray. That's what I've been saying, God, I need you to use me. And so I just simply, I sat down and, and, and I got real serious for a second and I said, okay, God, I need you to use me. And that was it. And I walked out. Use this congregation. Use these people. Nothing happened. And then the next day, nothing happened. And then the next day, nothing happened again. And then two days later, I was taking my recycling. Remember, I was a poor college student. I collected, I lived with four guys. I took all their beer cans and recycled them and got money for myself. I, I was at recycling, and, and this woman says, what do you believe about God? Just out of nowhere, out of the blue, I've never seen this lady in my life. She's a recycling person and says, what do you believe about God? I said, I believe Jesus is God. And we had a conversation and, and she was like, I don't know what to believe, but I know I want to go to your church. And it just blew me away. Two days later, I'm riding with my roommate. Says, what do you think about the Dalai Lama? At this point, 19 years old, I have no idea who the Dalai Lama is. No clue. So I kind of wisely said, tell me about the Dalai Lama. <laughs> so I had no idea. He started telling me some of his teachings, and I said, you know, that sounds a lot like he got that from somewhere. A lot like he got some of those teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. And we started talking about the Sermon on the Mount and the differences between the Dalai Lama's teachings and Jesus' teachings. I didn't even know who this guy was. Eventually, he was able to get my roommate a Bible, and eventually he started discovering for himself who Jesus was. And then, real abruptly, I ran out of money, just totally broke. The dream of surfing every day was gone. So I moved back home. And as I moved back home, I went back to a job at a bike shop here, and I wasn't making anything. And my brother said, do you want to work at a skate park? For many of you who know, the skate park was here in our parking lot where our park is now. And so I started working in the skate park, and within a week, the youth pastor quit and they said, hey, would you just teach a Bible class? <laughs> Ernie remembers this. He's laughing because I remember I just, I don't know anything. I eventually went to seminary. And eventually, God, since the moment I prayed that prayer, God was like, okay, I'm going to use you. And he had this crazy plan that I didn't even know yet. Some of you who are here today need to make that shift today from sheep to shepherd, from simply following and listening to acting and doing. So I want to invite you to pray today, God, use me. But like that pastor told me, I don't want you to pray it unless you're serious. In fact, if you think, I might not be serious about this, do not repeat that prayer. But if you're here and you're saying, yes, that is what I want. I want God to use me. I, got, I want God to use me up and, and use my life for his glory and for his kingdom and for his purposes that I want to invite you to just say, God, use me. If you're here and that you're thinking that, I want to invite you to stand up right now so we can all pray together. 
God use me. Don't be bashful. I invite you to stand so we can pray together and we're going to lead in worship. And if some of you today, maybe you're saying, I need to mark on my bulletin that I want to be in some kind of leadership capacity. I want to invite you to mark that on your bulletin so that we can get a hold of you. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognize that you want to lead through us. Lord, that you sent your spirit so that we can move the church forward in your name. God, there's a revolution happening of redemption, of forgiveness, of wholeness. And Jesus, you want to use us to lead that revolution. God, is absolutely humbling. It's absolutely staggering and mind-boggling that the God of the universe wants to use us. Lord, I pray for each person who's standing here today. Lord, would you anoint each one of them with your spirit? Would you touch them right where they're at? Lord, would you use each person who is standing here today to reach people and beyond. And Father, for those of us who aren't exactly ready yet for, to say, God, use me, Lord, would you guide and direct each person? Lord, some of us might be just eating on baby food still, and, and we need to grow. Lord, would you use the people who are standing to reach and to grow those who are not? Father, be with this church as we move forward. God, speak to us. Lord, lead us in every step of the way. Lord, move us from operating out of our own leadership to operating out of a sense of being called by you. God, move us from sheep to shepherd today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't we all...